Hello, everybody, and welcome to the China Tech Investor Podcast, powered by Techno, seeking truth from facts when it comes to Chinese tech stocks and IPOs. I'm Elliot Zagman, and with me is a man who shunned the fire chicken this Thanksgiving and went with haggis instead. It's James Hull. I didn't know I would get haggis last night, but yeah, I was at the St. Andrews uh, Ball here in Beijing. They've been doing it for 20 years. It's lots of fun. Anyway, you can uh, follow us on Twitter, Elliot Zagman. That's uh, two L's, two T's, two A's, and then another A, and James Hall X. Also, check out um, techno.com forward slash newsletters to keep a, you know an eye on what's going on in the tech scene in China. And um, yeah, the disclaimer, nothing we said here is investment advice. Our numbers may be wrong. And our ideas also could be wrong, obviously. Do your own research. Often. Often, often wrong. wrong. Um, never in doubt is a, is a nice phrase I like to hear uh, that I like from uh, Stanley Druckenmiller. But yeah, be careful out there, folks. Investing is risky. Yeah, yeah. And just for, for those who are not familiar with the Chinese language, fire chicken is turkey, which I think is a great, a great name. Like, I love the, that, you know, Chinese, you know, there's a, you get some of these names that are just fantastic, or these words that are just fantastic. And uh, Fire Chicken, I think, is one of my favorites. It, Frank, Frankie Huang, who's a she's like a writer and an artist. She does these um, these illustrations where she'll do kind of these literal translations of different kind of Chinese words. And sh- so she has like a painting of like a fire chicken, like the mozi, mm. right? Anyways, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, it's really cool. Like, um, uh, anyways, it's a the interesting thing about the Chinese language, or one of the interesting things. But yeah, we're going to talk about uh, a few different things today. We're going to talk about Xiaomi's earnings. No guest, by the way. We're just going to go over some earnings. Talk about Xiaomi's earnings. We're going to talk about Meituan's earnings. Uh, but first, and related to Meituan's earnings in some ways, is Alibaba's big Hong Kong listing. So they raised 87.6 billion Hong Kong dollars. That's 11.2 billion US dollars. Yeah, it's a, they, I, I, uh, at first, when I first heard about it, uh, aside from just kind of bringing, bringing their listing back home, uh, because they originally listed in the U.S., my thought was like, do they really need more cash? But they got plans for what they're going to do with it. James, you want to tell us more about that? Yeah. So, well, first off, I mean, they were planning, they wanted to raise 20 billion U.S. Then it went down to 10, like 10 to 20. Then it was 10 to 15. And then I think they got about, you know, eleven or twelve. I these numbers came off listing or a document I read a filing. It could have been changed since then, but yeah. So they say they want to spend this money or a chunk of it on local services, and so in RMB, that's about eighty billion RMB. Uh, Meituan, they have about you know, including you know, cash and equivalents, including short term uh, investments. About sixty billion RMB. So we're talking about a significant. If they do plow eighty, all of the eighty billion into local services, which they may not, but if they do, we're talking about a significant upgrade in Alibaba's, you know, competition here to Meituan. And just you know, to add to that, they are doing. There's this. So they have Ulama, right? Alibaba. Uh, they also mm. have this thing in English. It's called Fliggy, 
which I guess is flying piggy. It would be the, and that's what it is in Chinese is fade fade jewel. And that that when pigs fly, right? Exactly. It's like a, I never thought we'd see that happen, right? Right. Well, they are flying, and on Fliggy, you can uh, book flights, you can book hotels, you can book tours. It's kind of like things you can do on Sea Trip, things you can do on Meituan. Yeah. And this is, you know, just another area where they're kind of pushing in, and everyone's competing. Mm. We can expect some. Some heavy subsidies, some at least probably some good deals on, you know, flights or deliveries or whatever uh, <laughs> coming up. This is going um, to be fantastic for uh, for basically consumers, maybe also merchants. It's it's probably not as fantastic for profitability of the sector overall, right? Yeah, you know, it's like this. Good for delivery drivers, probably. Yeah, definitely good for delivery drivers, and we're we're about to enter the. Two quarters that are where delivery drivers get paid the most on a per delivery mm. basis, on a unit basis, and that's Q4 and Q1 because it's the winter. It's cold and rainy and you know uh, snowy sometimes and icy and dangerous. So you know they got to pay these guys to get them out there. Yeah. So speaking of Meituan, do you want to do you want to still say a few things about Alibaba before we go to Meituan? Well, just that this. Like we were kind of talking about before we jumped on, but this is one of those, it's kind of like an emerging, you know, sort of uncharted space in terms of like how large is the market. The market we know is large, right? But it's not chopped up and taken yet. So uh, it's kind of like uncharted territory. You know, you discover new lands and, you know, you got all the colonizers go over and they're taken taking their pieces and planting their stakes. And then, you know, there's little skirmishes here and there and they fight each other and, you know, they're trying to kind of big build up and get scale. And when they do, you know, when there is eventually a, a winner or two winners or a handful, they kind of can enter a period of peace where profitability usually goes up. But right now, you know, we're probably going to see it's wartime again. Uh, probably going to see. It's going to be tough. So, I mean, yeah. the people are looking at Meituan and they're going, wow, they've got two quarters under their belt of profitability. And that's like, you know, fantastic. They finally did it not just once, they did it twice. But, yeah. you know, when you go back, you got to look at these things on a trailing 12-month basis, right? And include the seasonality of Q4 and Q2 or Q4 and Q1 of the food delivery business. It's going to be a little tougher, I think, for them to maintain that profitability going forward. Mm. So, I mean, uh, I would do. A, and adding to that is yeah. let, let's let's get that that at that first have a little bit of summary before we go further into Meituan here. But for now, hats off. I'm going to put on a hat right now. The, the you can see it. The you have a hat on. Yes. And now <laughs> I have a hat on, and now I will take it off because Meituan, the second they they bet they beat estimates. For the second quarter of profitability in a row, I remember we were uh, a little skeptical they could make it happen two quarters in a row. They have, and they've, they, they are the darling of 2019 thus far, right? Their their stock. Let's see, after their earnings, it, it eclipsed a hundred Hong Kong dollars for I believe the first time ever, right? And uh, so just just to give us some context. They started the year at 40 Hong Kong dollars. So they've been doing quite well. They IPO'd 
uh, at like 60 something, 67, I think around there or 72. But yeah, they've, um, they've been doing great. Um, they've had a really, really strong year and just showing, I think that they've, they've kind of demonstrated on a, on a global level, the way to make these kind of online to offline services profitable or sustainable, at least for now. If you compare them with some of these other platforms that they might be somewhat similar to, whether it's, you know, an Uber or a DD or whether it's a, a DoorDash or whatnot, you know, all these companies are having issues with sustainability and profitability. And Meituan seems to have, at least for now, found the recipe to make that work. So why does that work? How, how, how would you explain why it works right now when compared to some of these other, like, I guess what we would consider to be comps. Yeah, but no, that's a good point. Uh, I think I mean the big thing. The big thing is, I mean, delivery drivers in China are kind of coming from kind of a lower wage, lower uh, cost labor pool that I think these other companies don't have access to and won't have access to. Maybe until you know autonomous vehicles or autonomous driving delivery things exist. There's that, but also Meituan, you know, they have, you know, I think that their largest gross margin piece of their business is the in-store hotel and travel. And that's, that's kind of like if you took, you know, Priceline, Booking, Expedia, kind of these guys combined them with, you know, like an Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, you know, it would be, you'd get, you'd have something closer to, to Meituan. You know, and it's this, this idea of the super app. You know, you buy Meituan bought Mobike, are seeing people using their app more to rent bikes. Uh, so you download the app. Like maybe you were a Mobike user. You get the new Meituan bikes out there. This literally happened to me. You want to use the new Meituan bikes because they're better. So you try to with your Mobike app. It doesn't work. So you download the Meituan app and you open that up and you like, Everything crosses over, you know, you link your mobile phone, it's all pretty easy, and then you're good to go. And then yeah. and then you start opening it and you're like, oh, what else is in here? You know, I've been using Dianping for a while. So the Meituan also has Dianping. It's Dianping is kind of like the like kind of Yelp, re- like restaurant review, local services review. It's not just restaurants, it's got got a little bit of everything. But they're 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 Yelp. Yeah, there's yeah, exactly. It's a little bit of everything. And also, I think I'd say in outside of China, Google serves a lot of that service or serves serves a lot of that function, right? So, like, you don't through Google Maps as well. Yeah, yeah. Like you don't buy do a company the way you Google a company in, uh, outside of China, right? You will Meituan a company, or sorry, dumping a company, right? Right. So, um, it's the at least that's that's my habit in China, right? That I will first go to the Meituan app and search. A, a restaurant or a bar or a hotel or whatever. And, but in, in the US or anywhere outside of China, I will Google it. So there, there is a, a different, and once again, right. once again, the loser there is Baidu, which is our, our, our favorite whipping boy in this podcast. But, right. But, it, but, but there was a call on Meituan's in the Q and A section or question in the Q and A section, basically that, you know what are you guys doing about your comp- your competitors bumping up their maps and trying to get into local services through maps because it is an e- I mean when you're trying to find something near you using a map pretty you know for me at least like just simple thing 
the, what's interesting though, when you think about kind of, all right, so like Google, you could search some local store, local restaurant, right? And then when you read through their page, there's something at the bottom usually that says like, if this is your, if you are the owner of this establishment, you know, click here, contact us. I mean, Baidu, I think had something like that. Uh, Dianping, I mean, even they would have store restaurant reviews, you know, where you could, you could go and you could see that no one's claimed this, you know, hardware store yet or whatever. Mm. And so you can like, once you claim that though, as, as a merchant or as the owner of that property or the manager or whatever, you're kind of, you're then providing information to them instead of them gathering it from online unstructured places and trying to structure it for you, which is more work for the platform. But when you start like pumping stuff in there, you're, you're building the platform. Like you're, you are helping them. You're committing to them mm. in a way that you're not like committing to other ones. And so that becomes, so obviously you want to go where the customers are. And so this is ties into, uh, you know, Ben Thompson's like demand aggregation theory stuff. But it's, you know, you get the supply side comes in, they're investing more of their time and resources uploading better photos. Like, oh, that photo is pretty bad. Let me change that. Let me change that. And making their pages better. Right. Mm. And all of that just adds to their kind of competitive advantage in, in some way. Yeah. So reading, reading a, um, from the, let's see, from a Tech Note article from our wonderful colleague, Emma Lee. She quotes Wang Xing here from their earnings call, right? With our Food Plus platform strategy, we will continue to leverage our insights on the consumers and merchants to further boost innovation and improve efficiency. As always, we will keep investing in our long-term growth and focus on business opportunities that will generate value for both consumers and merchants in the long run. But that I think that that, obviously, that's a lot of, you know, jargon and, and corporate speak. But the idea of having the services kind of feeding back into the platform, so right? And that yeah. kind of virtuous so cycle is, is really how the platform is, is, is or how the, how Meituan is succeeding yeah. right now. It's, it's, if, if you're a restaurant and you're utilizing our platform, you're going to get something out of it, not just like, you know, more customers. You're going to get, you can also use our, they call it an RMS, the restaurant management services. They also have, they also mentioned on the call that they're providing like value add advice. So they're crunching their numbers, the data they have, and they're like looking at reviews. They're looking at, uh, prices. They're looking at popular dishes. They're looking at all these things and they're giving, Advice back to a certain select number of like high quality restaurants that they, they identified, right? Mm. And then this is like a, I guess a trial program, but then the restaurants end up, you know, doing better. They get more orders. They have a better, uh, ROI, you know, their margins go up a little bit. I mean, there's like positive reinforcement to engaging with Meituan over other platforms, right? So this is now. How do you break into that? Is obviously you have to either subsidize heavily, so you you like pay. You can just. I mean, China's kind of maybe the first. I don't know. Maybe other places did this, but China seems like one of the first places to really use this subsidy kind of thing. Maybe Uber did it early too, but I feel like China really took it and ran with it. You subsidize your customers. You subsidize the merchants. You subsidize both sides of the platform. Mm. And you bring them in together, and then you slowly remove the subsidies. And these war chests. So maybe, like, 
Yeah, yeah. The cash <laughs> that these companies yeah. bring on to do this is, and and that's what what we're talking we were talking about earlier about we're gonna that's what we're gonna see with Alibaba and Meituan here is just that like, yeah. this is this uh, this is an unprecedented amount of cash that they're gonna be throwing into this stuff. So in some ways, it's actually that 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 can be that's that for China's consumer experience. I think that's a very a very good thing, right? Because you're gonna at least if you're the, a consumer in China, that's going to feel good because you're going to still keep you're going to keep getting good deals and you're going to keep getting a good experience as these these folks uh, compete. It's like it's like uh, Michael Zakora said in 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 the podcast with him. Um, if you want to win in China, you have to spoil the consumer. Yeah, just spoil them as much as they can as you can. And that's you know it's great. I mean, competition like this is amazing for consumers it's a little bit less amazing for investors and profit right. margins and those things but, but i mean hey if you're a meituan if you're a meituan no. shareholder you're still very very happy right now uh but yeah i, I was thinking about this because you'll see in in and as kind of um the kind of political the geopolitical situation has soured and um there's a lot more kind of negative press around china these days you get every now and then you get these kind of opinion pieces about how like you know, life in China has improved. And I always find it odd. It's like the first, one of the first points that the the writer will make in these pieces is like, is about food delivery or the, or mobile payments, right? Which I just find kind of silly because, you know, everywhere else in the world, you have very similar things, you know, or it, it's not going to really change your quality of life that much. But what does really change quality of life, and I think that this, this does get to some get to something is that when these companies are competing this hard to please the customer, if you are the customer, it does make life better, right? It does allow you to kind of get access to some of these like, you know, cool services and, um, you know, get, you know, really cheap or free delivery or transportation or, or, or whatnot. And, you know, does it actually make economic sense for the companies? Probably not entirely, but, you know, as a, you know, if you're the consumer, it's really good. Another thing that, I, that I'm wondering, and I think this is uh, something that is, is a better question for an economist or some a market researcher, is that if China has a unique kind of you know, a situation where it allows Meituan, a company like Meituan to really be successful in that, you know, you mentioned just that there's still these low-cost delivery drivers, right? That these, you know, as we talked, as we spoke about with Michael Pettis, right, that the wages in China are still quite low. Now that's caused a lot of problems, but one, one benefit is that it's, you still have cheap labor. Secondly, I'm wondering about just the size and density, like size, density, and also infrastructure. And, um, and I guess also the amount of money that, that the middle class has too, right? So where else in the world do you have the digital infrastructure, the density of population, and the scale of that density, right? Yeah. No, it's, it's, I mean, when you look at, I mean, the number of cities in China with over a million people, I mean, it's like a huge number. I forget. Exactly. It's like, yeah, a hundred, hundred cities or something. It's, it's huge. Yeah. And then, yeah. If, and then when you go, and the cities themselves are also just, I mean, massive, right? And the density is all the way spread throughout. And so, because you have these, everything's built mostly in apartment buildings, and you have kind of stacks of 
of apartments, right? And yeah, that makes it a little easier to do delivery. That's for sure. Instead of driving around these roads and visiting house after house. Yeah. And, and you compare it, okay, let's compare it with like uh, Japan or Korea, for example. You have, you have similar density. You don't, the pro, but a problem with that is that you don't have, you don't have the low wage workers and you don't have the scale of the density, right? So Korea has really one big city, right? China has what? 10 Seoul's or 10 cities that are the equivalent of Seoul. I think Japan, Japan did something interesting though. They, uh, and maybe they did this in Korea too. I just maybe don't know, but in Japan, you could, you could, as a, as a delivery guy, you could deliver to a local convenience store. And then that local convenience store can like, will either put it in like a box that has a lock on it for, for you, or will just hold it for you. And so like, you don't have to like necessarily go to everyone's apartment and, and do that. It's a little, little faster for the delivery guy. And then the person mm. goes and picks it up because it's right there next to their apartment. Yeah. I mean, they, they do that in China, but you know, it's, uh, it's more ad hoc kind of, you know, like, you know, the guy and they, you know, whatever. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> anyway, so, but, and then there's also just the growth in China too that you can expect. I mean, the valuation of these companies are all, is also based on the assumptions for the future. Whereas maybe in Korea or Japan, you won't have the same assumption of this, of growth in the future. Yeah. So, you know, it's a, that's, just kind of spitballing here, um, but would love to hear you know if any listeners out there have have better information or some better calculations on this. Should should we dive in the 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 numbers a little bit? So what do you want to get at first here? So okay, so the platform GTV, you know, year over year up like thirty four percent, transacting users up fourteen percent year over year. The Platform MR, which is the monetization rate, which is basically just the GTV divided by or uh, the revenues divided by GTV. So, how much revenue are they getting from the GTV? It's kind of stable around fourteen percent, roughly. Uh, the average over the last four quarters is fourteen point one, and this is up from you know back Q three twenty seventeen. It was nine point three. Q three twenty eighteen. It was thirteen point one. So this is this is steadily rising. They on their earnings call they did warn that because of the pork prices increasing in China, it's putting stress on restaurants, and they've decided not to try to increase their monetization rate on food delivery for that reason. So if we look at GTVs of their segments, right? There's food delivery. GTV increased forty uh, percent for food delivery increased around 30% for in-store, hotel, and travel. And it was up about 15% for new initiatives and, and others. You know, these are all, I mean, just great, great growth numbers. Although we are, there's a little bit of kind of a decelerization in new initiatives, but, you know, it's it's okay. Not too bad. But yeah, the, the gross profit. So if we look, let's look at the gross margin for each of these things, which I think is kind of interesting. So the gross margin for food delivery for this quarter, it was 19.5. And that's also been increasing. I mean, if we go back Q3 2017, it was 7.9. Q3 2018, 16.6. So nice, nice steady increase. Now Q4 and Q1 tend to be lower. So Q4 2018 and Q1 2019, 
it was 13.4 and 14.4. So we might see, again, a similar drop. Also, they indicated on the call that they don't want it. It's a monetization rate. So it's another reason why we could see a drop. They also talk about how this is a very seasonal business. So we could see a little drop there. Gross margins, in-store, hotel and travel. I mean, this is the most stable of all their businesses. It's basically 89, 90% across the board. New initiatives, you know, it was negative even after they bought, they took a big negative push after they bought um, Mobike last year in April. It went down to like minus 76% and it's slowly been digging out, you know, minus 76, minus 37, minus 23, minus 11. Last quarter, 9%. This quarter, 18%. So it's like double. Yeah, you know, from last it seems quarter. to be they, they're get, they're finding a way to make it work. I mean, as much as everyone kind of poo pooed that, uh, you know, that acquisition. Like, I don't. Um, when someone asked me about that, the I don't know whether or not it was a good decision. But if any company could have made it work, it was Mates One. Right? It, it was it was the right company to acquire that. Say what you want about whether or not you think it's um, it was a good decision, but that 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 was my take on that. Yeah, that's so uh, that's another, impressive. Although, yeah, sorry, another kind of interesting thing, just looking at their the type of revenue they have. So they break it out into commission, online marketing service, and uh, other services and sales. Uh, if we go back, you know, two years ago, twenty seventeen, eighty two percent of this was commissions. Coming to this mm. quarter, you know, and it's been it's been declining per very steadily over over the quarters. Now it's sixty eight percent. Other services and sales used to be four percent back in twenty seventeen. Now it's sixteen percent, and online marketing has also gone up, but a lot. It's only gone up two percentage points in terms of like total amount, right? From fourteen to sixteen. So, you know, they're slowly increasing their other sales and services, and that's you know. It's less about commissions and you know a little bit more about other services. I think that's that's an important thing to to note and positive trend. I would say. All right, I do wonder with both. Um, I mean, I think Pinduoduo is experiencing this right now. They had a, a, a rough cor- a rough quarterly report, and if if Meituan kind of might be following a similar. Like they, they, they're both very strong growth stories. Their big competitors have had to respond and maybe they've been a little slower responding, right? So right now, you know, we see Alibaba, they had that listing, right? They just raised $11 billion. Um, and they're going to be pouring that a lot into services and competition with Meituan. And when it comes to JD, right? JD and Alibaba as well, I think we're kind of rocked a little bit by the rise of Pinduoduo and now over the last year, they've been really kind of retooling their model to compete. And that has, I think, it seems to have uh, impacted Pinduoduo's growth a little bit. And I think that's probably what we can expect to see from, from Meituan. So this is not investment advice, but one might theorize that we might be at peak Meituan, at least for a while, when it comes to the, uh, the market's enthusiasm for them. Yeah, I would, I would, uh, if I was long Meituan, right? Not investment advice, but if I was long Meituan, I would think pretty long and hard about maybe taking some profits, some 
cash off the table, you know, chips off the table. I I don't know if I would go as far as like shorting Meituan, but yeah, I mean, we'll see. There's going to be news. There's going to be stories. If Alibaba is making moves, we're going to see it. We're going to see it in Ulama. We're going to see it in Fliggy. We're going to see it in other other things they do. You know, it should it should become obvious in the next couple months. Uh, you know, I don't know how much they'll do before Chinese New Year. Maybe quite a bit, but right, Chinese New Year is always like this this moment. It's really important for analysts that are looking at China to understand that Chinese New Year is a everything shuts off for like a month, and that's just there's no stopping it. Right, like restaurants aren't gonna you know revamp their whole systems and things during Chinese New Year. It's not gonna happen. It could happen before, could happen after. I don't know. So that you know, what's gonna yeah. Meituan, I don't know. If I, I'm not long, but if I was, I would probably be taking some some chips off the table. Yeah, that that's my thought. But once again, not investment advice. Uh, do you want to move on to Xiaomi? Yeah, I mean, there's there's a whole there's a whole bunch of other things, but yeah, let's move on to Xiaomi. Okay, so Xiaomi share the market responded fairly positively. Uh, shares jumped a little bit. Their Q3 profit rises. 20% or rose 20% uh, and their revenue climbed 5.5%. Uh, James, you are less enthused largely because they seem to be continuing to get pummeled when it comes to smartphones in China. They are getting steamrolled by Huawei as just about everyone or all smartphone makers are uh, or seem to be in, in China right now, relying more and more their overseas markets which are are not nearly as reliable and uh it's harder for their for them to uh, execute their broader business model which is still going to be based on services um so yeah what what are your takes on, on on Xiaomi here yeah i mean this is you know they there's a lot of things happening i think in the smartphone market in china i think and they brought this up on the call and they it seems like they're blaming this one reason it's that 5G is coming and that 4G phones are not being sold as much. And if you look at any stats, IDC, Canalis, all these guys, they all say that smartphone sales in China have gone down. They're declining, decelerating, you know, they're selling less smartphones in China. I think that's probably partially true. I think there's also probably the smartphones these days are kind of good enough. I think there's also maybe, you know, an underappreciated view that, you know, nowadays in China, like just about everywhere you go, you can get a chongdianbao, uh, like a battery pack. And mm. one of the main reasons people change and upgrade their phone is because the batteries just go to garbage and you can't get like a full day out of your battery. But now you can basically get any, you don't have to carry one around with you anymore. You can just get them and rent them for like one RMB at just about any restaurant or bar or you know place you go. I think even airports have them now. And so yeah, that's like if you have a phone that's still working, the battery is just not as good. If you can still get charged up, you know, it's, camera still works, everything's great. I mean, you don't necessarily have to upgrade your phone. Now, if 5G comes around, maybe maybe that will lead to like a massive massive rush of people upgrading their phones. I don't I don't know. 
maybe. It seems that Xiaomi is hoping for that. They've been cutting back their inventory days. They're managing down their inventory. They say they're also managing down the channel. So, you know, when you, when you produce something, you put stuff out into the channel and then eventually it goes out of the channel as re, it's sold at retail or consumers buy it. And so you can manage down your channel. You can, if consumers stop buying your stuff, the channel gets stuffed and fills up too much, right? And they say that the, the channel is also being managed down. And that's all in anticipation of this 5G thing. Now, the big question is with Huawei kind of winning the 4G market, the 4G smartphone market in China and being the clear winner right now, what's going to make people change and not buy a Huawei 5G phone and instead buy a Xiaomi 5G phone? We're pretty sure they're not going to buy an Apple 5G phone because I don't think Apple has an a 5G phone plan, right? For Apple. So I don't think at the moment. Yeah. But if we look at, you know, just look at the numbers really quick. I mean, you know, general trend for Xiaomi is decelerating growth. It's still growing. I mean, year over year was 6% revenue growth. Part of that, the reason why it's kind of gone down is that smartphones had their first year over year decline, you know, minus 6% this quarter. Internet services, though, is on a sequential basis, is accelerating growth, which is good. That's good. Yeah. Maybe, I don't know if we'll see a, a, a seasonal drop in Q4. There was a drop, you know, Q4 2018. I don't, I, I don't think internet services should be seasonal, but to some extent, maybe people are buying more apps or something in other quarters. I, I don't know, but we'll see. It definitely looks like there's some seasonality in Xiaomi's revenue from smartphones. Like Q4, the last two years have been below Q, Q3. So I see them kind of guiding down, you know, they're, they, you know, if, if Q4 is also lower, I don't know, it's not going to bode well for, for their share price. And at these 5G, this 5G push that there is supposed to kind of bring their smartphone revenues back is next year. This, you know, it's not going to happen Q4 this year. So Q4, it should be, it should be lower again. What else? You know? If we're accepting that they're kind of screwed when it comes to their smartphone business in China, which is my assumption, they are diversifying away from that fairly well, at least when it comes to hardware, right? So they're seeing growth in IoT. They're seeing growth in their smart TV shipments. Whether or not that can make up for the smartphones, I don't know. But that does seem to be a bright spot. But at this point, I think, you know, they're at what, eight dollars, eight, eight, between eight and nine Hong Kong dollars a share. You know, they're, I think they are what they are right now. And we've talked about this before, but they're, they're not the world beater that people thought they'd be when they, when they were, you know, pondering a, a $70 billion IPO. Yeah. So I wonder but, if, I wonder if like one of the mistakes they made and was going kind of into the more premium, phone segment, which is just so clearly dominated by Huawei and I guess Samsung and Apple, obviously. But if you're looking at Android, just those, those other two companies. But I mean, you're seeing, and an analyst asked a question about this. I mean, their gross margins on their smartphones used to be kind of in the range of six to seven percent. 
Now it's in the range of eight and nine percent. And that's not, you know, it's actually a pretty sizable increase, although the, the numbers are single digits, right? It's still pretty sizable. And so the question is like, is that sustainable? The question the analyst asked was, you know, is this sustainable? Are you going to have to lower your price to compete next year and maybe have, you know, a lower price point to, you know, and so they're, they said, no, they won't have to because kind of a bunch of reasons, but that they, you know, they don't have to sell through as many retailers, I think, and they have their own stores and, you know, their own network. So that's kind of helpful. But Huawei has their own network. So I don't, yeah, I'm, I'm not like why it, they, how they can't compete with Huawei, like in China, especially. Like, yeah. Huawei is the darling. They, they're, no yeah. one can at this point. Yeah. The chosen. And, well, they, the thing is, Xiaomi the used to be one. a darling. And, in that, like, I think before, you know, a year ago when, uh, or two years ago, I think there's been a lot more kind of the, the like, the, the patriot, patriotic backing of Huawei in the last year or two for obvious reasons. But before that, like, Xiaomi really was a darling in a different way, right? Like, Lei Jun was seen as, like, the lovable uncle, and they were this, like, you know, Xiaomi, right? It's like, it's the, it, it, it's just this kind of cute, brand i guess that um that you know people would get into and people liked i, I think that that had it, this kind of darling component to it the the whole like um lay june being in india and having that kind of like bad english are you okay moment was actually really endearing and uh but i i think huawei kind of stole a little bit of that like like you know home country darling whole kind of image that that um that Xiaomi had, but I was just in in Shanghai and Shenzhen for a couple of weeks, and just uh, what I always do is just kind of watch what everyone's using, and obviously you know where I'm hanging out in you know Shenzhen and 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 Shanghai are are not representative of all of China, right? They're far wealthier, cosmopolitan, etc. But I found it, it was basically a two a two brand market. Is just about everyone I saw. Um, if they had a new phone, they had either a, a Huawei or an Apple almost across the board. If I saw a different phone or a different brand, it was an older phone. It was, or it was a phone that was clearly cheaper, right? It was used by like the hotel maid or something like that, that the, the, the higher end phones, the newer phones were, were almost all either Huawei or, or Apple still. And I think that that's kind of, when you look at where the margins are being taken, I think that, that that's where it is, right? So, you know, we, Xiaomi wants to go upscale, but they, they got to fight with these two kind of, these two brands that have a lot of loyalty, especially in China. Yeah. Xiaomi did mention on the call and also in their uh, earnings, their, their presentation for Q3, that they managed to become recognized like the cameras in their phone managed to become recognized at the same level as what was previously the top, and still is the top, but at the same level as as Huawei's cameras. And we know in China, like the camera is a, an important part of the phone that leads to leads to sales and people people wanting to buy it. So yeah, that you know, also kind of uh, a little. Came out, uh, we're recording this on December 1st, but came out a couple days ago on the 29th. Xiaomi issued a filing saying that 
they're making some management changes or they plan to make some management changes. Some people got promoted. I think the current, the current CFO got promoted to president of group for global business, but he also, they also approved, the board approved the creation of an, a CFO search committee, which means that CFO, once they find a replacement, will no longer be the, the CFO. And I think, you know, he's got, he's got a tough job, you know, just listening to the earnings calls. He's basically the guy translating everything and responding to a lot of the questions. So, you know, also the share price has been, uh, less than spectacular, you know, so it's probably, probably tough, tough on him for that too. But yeah, I think this is an interesting little development. Maybe, maybe they can get another CFO in and maybe they can, maybe the messaging, maybe the problem with Xiaomi is the messaging. Um, and if it is, you know, I don't necessarily think it is the messaging, but if, if that's what they think, maybe this CFO could, a new CFO could help out with that. Cause it is, it is kind of, you know they're they're expanding into Western Europe. They've got all these markets. They've got internet services that they need to kind of adapt for each of those markets uh, if they want to make that segment of their business successful. You know, there's there's quite a lot going on there, and trying to coherently explain that as well as the China smartphone strategy. You know, I mean, Lei Juan's always talking about. Xinjabi, right? Your price to value ratio. Uh, and he wants Xiaomi phones to always be the best. And, you know, he says, he says they're the best. But is that what's driving, you know, what's driving the consumer maybe is different? Maybe it's no longer your price to value. Maybe there's something else that's, that's driving the consumer, right? Maybe it's that, what you were saying before, the darling, uh, effect, you know, the, the China, like, yeah. China, Huawei is, you know, kind of being attacked. China has this national narrative of being the mm-hmm. receiving end of uh, bullying or whatever. And so like Huawei kind of mm. being attacked at the same time, you know, fits into that. And it has like a, a very strong patriotic feel, right? I, I mean, I've talked to people and I asked them why they have a Huawei. And like one of the reasons that comes up sometimes is like, you know, Igua, like patriotism. Yeah, <laughs> and it's like yeah, you know, okay. Well, you talked about the like the, the was it Shinjabi the 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 price to value, right? And that stuff is value, right? That if you especially if you work for something like a um like a, a state owned enterprise or or a part of the economy which is you know kind of very very closely connected with with the state or with the party, then you know and. You know, you go, you show up to the meeting and you put the Huawei on the table instead of the Apple, right? That does give you a little cachet or it gives you, you know, a, a few, a few points, right? Right. When you want to have those, right? Or so that, that, that is value that your phone offers, right? And I, if you look at Apple as well, I mean, Apple's ecosystem also is value that if you've been using an iPhone for a long time and you have all that, Information, all that data, all that, all that personal information that's 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 stored on the iPhone, you know, in the iPhone ecosystem, you don't want to give that up. That is value. That is, um, you know, that that is baked into the price. And Xiaomi doesn't offer enough to compete with that at this moment. That is something that I think you know, 
there it is about the the value the value price ratio but you know Huawei and Apple still have them beat on that right and they're not i mean the another problem for some of these smartphone hardware companies right is that Apple was able to create iMessage and iMessage is a pretty significant reason to keep using an iPhone in the US cuz everyone else has one and you message on iMessage and that's kind of a thing whereas China right you have you don't need iMessage even if you created an iMessage it wouldn't be useful at all because everyone's on WeChat and so switching yeah. phones i mean you move your WeChat account is going to be the same in your new phone so it's not it's not as tough of a switch you know, yeah. but there, there is, there's still plenty that they have in that ecosystem. It, it's not, it's not the same as it is outside of China, but oh, yeah, there is sure. still, I think, plenty that, that, also that just iPhones the, have. And, and I think the, also the, the adopting, you know, learning how to use a new phone is kind of a whole, a whole nother thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like I know I use an iPhone. I know where all the settings are. I know how to like turn on the accessibility settings. I like, like I like to. Use the um, the screen reading function, so I can like I can open mm-hmm. a Kindle book and just start the screen reading, and it'll like read the book to me instead of having like an audio book. Maybe I shouldn't tell people that. Oh, don't cool. don't get rid of that function. It's great. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's a cool cool helpful thing. Um, but yeah, it's re- it's really cool. Um, and they're, they're they're but they and they have tons of things like that that. I think it just it, re- it really creates a stickiness. Not to mention, I, w- I was having this conversation with other folks as well too. Just so many people still have Apple laptops, and um, you know, it's the having the same kind of that that cross device kind of cohesion. I think is still very important. Yeah, AirDrop is pretty awesome between laptops and phones. It's a kind. Of, I use Windows, so I it's a it's an annoying thing to have to like transfer things back and forth it's a i i have a solution yeah, but it's it's a it's not nearly as nice uh what, what else we should we're coming up in an hour so we should probably uh not go too much longer anything else we want to say before we uh before we wrap up anything on xiaomi i think no xiaomi i think we've kind of touched everything i mean there's we could no nah, we got we, we got it we, we don't we, it. let's cap this under an hour okay James. all right techno.com slash newsletters for your daily dose of china tech thank you peter thanks everyone <laughs> what else <laughs> Not invested. Happy advice. Thanksgiving, and we'll catch you next time. Happy Thanksgiving, belated Thanksgiving to our American friends, and we'll catch you next time on the China Tech Investor Podcast. Bye bye now. <laughs>